this is what I can be a murderer because when she's uh, jerking it, I guess, is it jerking it when you're a girl? Flicking the bean. Yeah. Anyway, when she's doing that bean, (laughs) she's going to keep going. Are you? Hi guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today I finally watched Stoker. So this movie came out in 2013. And I went to theaters watching it uh, thinking it was some sort of like Dracula movie. I had no idea. I, I actually I think, like I halfway through this was like, is this gonna is he gonna be Dracula? <laughs> yeah, so I, I I think I had an ex-girlfriend drag me to it. I, I honestly had no idea what this movie was gonna be about. But with a name like Stoker, you kind of think Dracula. Um so yeah, I mean this movie quite surprised me. <laughs> You you thinking he's just halfway going to turn into Dracula is kind of funny. Like, this is a vampire movie. I've seen him in the light, though. So, Right, right. You know, one thing, I and, I, and um, I'll just mention it now, but is the tone of this movie is like a, a dark tone, but it's a very bright movie. And when, you know, I, I think before we did... Uh, this podcast, I knew very little to no Korean movies. And so I did not realize when watching it. I mean, I thought it was a fucking vampire movie, right? But I, uh, I didn't think, I didn't know about any Korean directors. So then when I mentioned this movie and you're like, oh, it's Park Chan-wook. And I'm like, holy shit, it is. Yeah, I think this is his one. It's It was definitely his first um non-korean movie like his first american movie um i don't think he's done one since right so i, I don't think so we have um we have other 2013 yeah 2013 we have other korean directors doing american movies um but yeah so I put two and two together and then rewatching it. I was like, Oh, this is very much like this is paced and edited very much like a Korean film it kind of makes sense now. Uh, but when I, when I watched this in theaters, I think I actually saw this twice. I liked it a lot. It, it was very like creepy yet. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I liked, I liked it in a way that, I didn't think I would because uh, I don't usually like these kinds of films. But David, what did you think of Stoker? So I just thought the first watch, I was like, this movie is, it's very weird. And it's like a little bit hard to follow, but also kind of like simple at the same time. Like, I don't think at any point you think Matthew Good is not like a bad character. He's not evil, you know what I mean? Just like the smile he gives off, the like the dead eyes, right? 
Yeah, I don't um, think that's like a secret they're trying to keep for the for the twist ending, you know? Right, but then even the twist ending about her, like as I'm getting to it, I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I mean I sort of you sort of see this coming from a mile away. But watching it the second time, I did appreciate it a lot more. And you and I were talking about this before, and this was kind of a point you made, and I was like, Yeah, I completely agree that this is like it felt like a Korean movie with just like American actors and in English, right? Which yeah. sometimes doesn't translate perfectly. Um, and I can think of like, you know, old boy, the American version didn't translate. Yeah, but that's not a Korean director. No, but I'm talking about it's a Korean, you know, it's a, well, this, what's funny is this isn't a Korean story. So this was written by Wentworth Miller, who is most famously known from the show Prison Break. The actor in prison. The break. actor. Oh wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. And so this was like the first thing he ever wrote, but it it feels like a Korean story, and I I think a lot of that has to do with Park Chan Wook's like directorial style. Well, the, whenever whenever like strong incest is in the mix, you you know because of Old Boy particularly, you get like a Park Chan Wook feel automatically. Well, so I, someone was like, if old boy is Oedipus, this is Electra. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The, um, but it's, the, like I said, so first watch, I was a little underwhelmed. Second watch, I was like, I, you know, you notice a lot more, you appreciate a lot more. It is like a very simplistic movie. And one thing I read, which is never a good sign, I, I, like you assume a studio got involved, right? But is that like 30 minutes of the movie was cut? And I'm curious as to as to why, but like it it felt it did feel like some stuff was missing here or there, some like more explanation and more like what you know explaining what the movie was going for um but i I did really like even the first watch i like I really enjoyed it I was like, I really enjoyed this movie, but I don't really understand like it was it was like it was kind of weird the second time i watched it like you get a lot more there's a lot of like subtle dialogue especially from um mia wasakowska if that's how you pronounce that last name and yeah, it um, is i'm very impressed <laughs> well i always like want to say wasakowski but then like there's an a on the end so it's like it's gotta be kowska um th- there's just like a lot of subtlety to it when you have like these like very dramatic camera movements is the thing I noticed like the most, you know what I mean? Like the, it's like a, it's another character, the way he like will pan in and on people and around them and like showing like the, what they're looking at. So um, I liked it. It's, it's a super interesting movie. And I think one thing it's really defined by is the performances. Like Nicole Kidman is amazing. Matthew Good is amazing. Mia Wasikowska is amazing. Like all three of those are so good in it and then the supporting characters are great as well this is this is my first matthew good film so when i saw him in the lookout i was already like suspecting him very much so Uh, he plays a very good bad person um uh the the thing the beginning of this film when it starts at the funeral and the little that we get to know about her father and what we see in flashbacks, he, he seems like he's the most sane person in the entire flick. Yeah. Uh, it's like, he almost had to die at the very beginning of this because it would have, it would be very easy for him to be like the voice of reason and like the, the, 
you you later find out that he kind of knew that his daughter was psychotic and took her out hunting to kind of get to like kind of exercise her her demons uh out there in the in the field you know like like it says in the movie you got to do like little bad things to like subdue the real bad thing you want to do something like that well, thanks for listening for another episode of <laughs> You Just Did That Thing You Do, where you just went to the number one point of the movie. And we're not even five minutes in. And you're like, by the way, did you notice? <laughs> I hate you so much. What? <laughs> no, one thing I want to talk about in the actual beginning of the movie, it starts with the end of the movie. It starts oh, with that's right. her that's looking right. out into a field and her saying, I wear my father's belt and my mother's blouse and my uncle's shoes. And then you look and you see these flowers that like don't look real because they're white with like these red spots all over it. And if you compare the flowers at the beginning to the end, like it's very different. Yeah. It's blood at the end very clearly. And then on this, it's like, those are red and white flowers. So it was like, they didn't want to give away too much. Um, But I, I like that. Like, I like that the movie's like basically tells you everything in the beginning, but you just, you're going to forget all that. And then as you move through, you get to like, you get it explained to you. So that's like a very nice touch. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and each, each thing is broken down throughout the movie. Like the father's belt is explained first and then the mother's blouse towards the end. And then the uncle's shoes is kind of this long-term reveal through the movie but it's not what you think. So I, I find that interesting. Yeah. Well, she's also wearing what her, her dad's glasses as well. Um, yeah. It, I think one of the issues with the movie that people could have and that I had a little bit is just like, so I says, as I said, Matthew Good's character is like, you understand from the beginning that he's evil, but then also her character too, right? Like she doesn't hide what she is as, as well. It's like, she comes off as like, a psycho you know what i mean like and they even call her that but just like in the in the medical sense of like she just doesn't care about other people she like she seems to like she doesn't even really fake it you know what i mean um so it, it's just interesting that like it, it kind of i think makes the ending somewhat obvious even though i think it is well done otherwise i think i think the decision to kind of show her that way from the beginning is this like weird recluse character um, I think it can make it to where the ending is just, you know, telegraphed. I think that the twist comes in a different form. And so I don't completely ruin it. I'll talk about it when we get closer there, but I don't think, I don't think it's the fact that she's evil. Cause I don't think, like you said, they're hiding, they're not hiding that at all. So I think it's just, uh, that her dad knew or that the, no, 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 no. Uh, that's part of it, but I think that it's a bigger picture with that. I do, I do think we can get back into the the like the point of the plot where we're in though, and we meet. What's funny is I didn't know who Miss McGarrick was at first. I thought we like I thought she was someone different, and that was like a grandmother that we were meeting. It's something I like I, missed. Yeah, I, I get I get people can see her as a grandmother, but she's like the head housekeeper, like she's the. Yeah, the one that this keeps mo- them all in line. This movie plays as if it's like in the eighteen hundreds, but like it's just they're just like rich, a rich family that's sort of stuck they're just the like a little bit stupid rich. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we meet her, and she like 
you know, there's this thing with the, sh- the, the, she gets shoes for her birthday every year. And she's like, Oh, I knew, I guess I should have known that you were the one buying for me and not my dad. Um, which is actually, it was Charles, I guess, who was buying them for her, picking them out each year. Um, which, but, but it was the, it was the Miss McGarrick. Miss McGarrick is the one who was setting them out. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that's what we're supposed to get. And then this year she gets a key, which, there's this scene later where you like are kind of barely eavesdropping and it's like Miss McGarrick's like, listen, I was your eyes and your ears and your hands here this whole time. I've done everything you ask. Like I'm the only one that she sort of is like, I'm the one that could like sell you out, but I'm not going to do that. And then we find out later that he like murdered her right then and there. And we sort of just never hear from her again. Um, But it's like, why is she doing that for him? For Charles? Well, okay. So when, when, Mia goes into her father's study and like finds all these photographs of her father and Charlie young. You see her in, in some of these photographs when those kids were like eight and nine years old. So I guess you assume that she's like, she's been in that family for like decades. So she has some sort of, some sort of attachment to Charlie. Yeah, and it's an attachment above, like, the rest of the family. She likes Charlie the murderer more than anyone else. I mean, I think that's exactly what we're supposed to think. Um, There's also this interesting... So when we first meet Charlie, he then... We have this interesting bit where he, like, starts following uh, India. Her name is India in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Starts following her, or, like, as she's, like, running away, leaving out the house. And it's he's only stopped by um, Nicole Kidman, like, oh, hey, come meet these people. And it is interesting, the subtle way in which the movie sort of shows you from the very beginning, he's infatuated with her. And she, like, uh, one of my friends used to always have this saying, like, uh, a sailor knows another sailor from afar. She right. recognizes a psycho immediately when she sees him. And she, like, is the me- and. It it starts with she saw him at the funeral. And, oh man! And she has this line where she's like, "I see things people don't see. I hear things people don't hear." She recognized her dad's sunglasses from like hundreds of yards away when he was wearing them at the funeral. Yes. So she knew immediately this is the guy that murdered my father. But then she didn't know that it was her uncle. Like at the same, like she finds that out at the wake or at the yeah, that's called a wake, right? Depending on what yeah, ethnicity you are, it's like, yeah, wake or the, the viewing or the, you know, the after party. Yeah. After party. Definitely. I like after party better. Um, But yeah, so it's like all these pieces come together for her. Um, And it's this weird, like he's infatuated with her, right? But like as the movie progresses, she becomes infatuated with him. I don't think later, so. Later on, like. Well, we we haven't talked about that scene yet, but at, up till that point, uh, she's trying to like avoid him. Like he shows up at her school, like all the other girls are going nuts about him, and he's she's just trying to like lay low. Yeah, I think, and I think we're supposed to know after the end of this that it's because she kind of always knows what happened. Um, then the next thing though is like 
when the mom wants to go out with India and we kind of get that India has always been like a, a daddy's girl. You know, we always like took her out hunting and like you always chose your father over me. Um, and then Nicole Kidman says this line of like, you know, I didn't I wasn't always distanced from your father. I just missed when he was young. And she kind of looks out and sees the 10 year young. Yeah. Who's like yeah. nine or 10 years younger than her husband. She's like she immediately like this look on her face of like, ooh, I could I could bang that. There's a moment in the movie where like he's in a kitchen and the kitchen is double corridored. And so she's, she's on one end and, and India's on the other. She says that line, she looks at him and the camera rotates back around the kitchen and then frames up Charlie and India in the same frame. And then he says something like um, the, the wine like something about the age of the wine is not necessarily good when it's old, but better when it's young or something like that. And the way the camera moves and frames him and Mia in the same shot is the creepiest thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, um, so while, uh, he goes out on a date with the mom, um, which is one other nitpick with this movie is like trying to figure out, I don't know, like the relationships there, but we'll get to it. But so he goes out there and uh, they go out on a like a little date and Mia just immediately starts snooping. And this is when she finds like the package of, you know, that are like, it's the same gift wrapping that she always gets her shoes in, but somehow he has it. She's like, oh, what's, what's that? Or as the what's audience. The, it's the box, right? It's like the yeah. whole box is in there. Right. And as the audience, we're confused, but I don't think she was actually. Now that I think mm-hmm. about it, I think she kind of knew all along what was going on. Um, well, there's like a ridic- ridiculous amount of evidence in that bag. There's like a portfolio that has like passports and IDs and business cards. We later on later get like exactly what that is, but it looks very suspicious at this point in the film. And I, I remember watching this for the first time and thinking like, oh, obviously, like I thought the twist was is and you probably thought this too, maybe is that he's not who he says he is because no one has seen him for a long time. And she didn't even know she had an uncle. So maybe it's like a, like a escape mental patient that like got the idea of, of Charlie Stoker, you know? Yeah. I, I never thought that I thought it was like, Oh, that just makes sense. He has a bunch of these cards and shit. Cause he's a, um, a world traveler is what they'd say. So that actually like, didn't really tip me off to anything. Um, but when they get back and he's like, yeah, he's talking about the wine and he's like, oh, I got you ice cream. I got you vanilla and chocolate. She's like, I don't like those. I like swirl. <laughs> Nicole comes like, you can make that yourself. Oh, speaking of the ice cream is that you would think as much money as these people have, they can afford some, I don't know, like a less creepy ass basement. Well, also I was thinking too, uh, the second watch I was like, so how does Charlie know about that? Except for that he put Miss McGarrick's body in there. Um, Knows about what? The the freezer the ice, down below? Yeah, the freezer down below. You have to also assume that they grew up in that house. I, But it looked like a different house. You know, I, that's what it seemed like they were saying, but it seemed like a different house. So Miss McGarrick like, just like follows the family wherever they move. I guess that makes sense too. I mean, yeah, she was leaving. Like, gener- but generationally? You know, it's funny, too, is like, oh, Miss McGarrick left without saying anything. And they just sort of were like, ah, whatever. When this lady has lived with them for their entire lives, and they're just like, Meh. yeah, she hasn't called. I don't know. 
like you and I both know the cop knows at the end what happened to Miss McGarrett, right? And I mean, even India knows that the cop knows. That's why she has to do what she did. But I love like how blase Nicole Kidman's character is through the entire movie. Like these people have been just disappearing around her and she's like just absolutely okay with it. Well, cause she's playing like this, like I said, it's like a movie, like in the 1800s, she's playing like this Southern bell type character that like, you know, never leaves the, the house, has to lay down, drinks a lot. You know, I get the vapors and I need to <laughs> have a lie down. For, for her, it's probably like a Xanax ambient mix or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like just everything to her is just like, whatever, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, cause she even says to, uh, Charlie, when uh, Miss McGarrick's not there, she's like, I don't know how to make dinner. And he's like, oh, I'll do it. Um, which also, when he doesn't eat, that's total like vampire behavior. <laughs> he just like looks at the food. When I was watching this with my wife, she she was like, oh, my God, is that Miss McGarrett like as the meal? <laughs> well, and when um, when India takes the ice cream downstairs, um, there's this overhead shot of the freezer for a second. I was like, is there a body in there? Because it's like exactly what it's trying to show you. Like whenever there's a freezer like that, it's like, is there a body in that freezer? It, it There is, but it doesn't show you that. And then you think like, did she see a body and she's just ignoring it on purpose? Because, cause, you know, you have to believe that, you know, she's been crazy all this time. So it's like, how how much is she letting Charlie get away with before she acts upon it? Yeah. I guess is my thought while I was watching this yeah yeah i don't yeah it's like what i think i think charlie takes care of her pretty quickly he's like i you know i gotta get rid of all these loose ends um i think his plan is just to kill everybody but india um so we get to the the kid bothering her in art class another cool detail is they're drawing this vase and she's actually just drawing the pattern on the inside of the vase that no one else can see is that what she was doing yeah okay Okay. Oh, yeah, because because I think the shot, yeah, the scene just, starts with the shot of the up close inside of the vase, right? Well, it, en- it ends with it too. So, yeah. Um, but then this kid just comes up to her, and I guess I guess he ends up playing the MacGyver. But this kid comes up to her and like draws her. <laughs> he does. He does end up playing MacGyver. He draws her naked, and then when she has no reaction, he just pantomimes hitting her. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, too. He's like he's like a bully that's like so sexually frustrated that you he'll resort to like beating the I mean, woman that he's sexually frustrated. to. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I think though. there's some like latent homosexuality coming out of that kid. So one one detail about the movie that I actually didn't notice until this time watching and this this is probably like my third or fourth time watching this film. One detail I didn't realize is that Alden comes in um, when the other guys are like cornering her and she stabs the MacGyver guy with the pencil, right? Mm -hmm. And he comes in like, stop bullying her. Like he's the good guy, right? And he has this certain charm about him that as the audience you automatically just really like him like you're like oh you didn't no i was like he came in as sort of a savior but i was like honestly he like and he 
I was saying to you before we recorded that I was like, I don't know how great he is. Cause that, and the reason why is the first thing I saw him in was hail Caesar and in hail Caesar, he's playing a bad actor. Yeah, but that's, that's why he's so good. I know. Right. So, and then I actually really liked him. I think he is like the least reprehensible part of, of, of solo. So, um, but in this, he, he's playing this character. He comes in as like the savior, but he's just like, he then sits down in the chair yes. that the bully's sitting down in. I was like, yes. you just took the place of that bully, right? And I the way he that this watch too, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, the way he was acting, I was like, I don't think, I didn't get good guy, good guy vibes from him. And so it was like... The tipping know. point of that is that he is able to back down the bully so easily. And then, like you said, he sits in like the throne of the bullies. So it, it, it like makes you think that he's the savior. And yet only the king bully could do all that to begin with. Yeah. Also, so he calls her Stroker. Uh, the uh, the other guy's name Pitts. He's like he calls her Stroker because she's basically like, you're fucking your uncle and so is your mom. Um and then she's like, gets up to him. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you have no idea what I do to little girls. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, you know, I think the whole point of that writing is just to, just to really throw you off that Alden's character is bad. So you're so focused on this blonde bitch <laughs> and being like, he's the villain of the story. But yeah. And I think it's just really smart how they have it that, that Alden comes in and he he backs everyone down real quick, like saving her, but he just wants her for himself, and that's kind of like the whole the whole point of him, his character. Well, but what I want to say about the the other bully is that like she says that to him, you know, she says, "What are you you know What are you talking about?" She gets in his face, and then he's just gonna fucking hit her as hard as he can, <laughs> but he she has a pencil and stabs him in the hand. I was like, "Who is this guy?" Like, what is this character? It it makes you think, because he fake punched her in art class. Was he going to just fake punch her again, but she stopped it with the pencil too short? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Have you have you ever been stabbed with a pencil? Not by another person. I've maybe, like, accidentally done it to myself. But no, I don't think anyone stabbed me with a pencil. I, I've, I've been stabbed with it. It hurts. It really fucking hurts. And he brushes it off, like, a small inconvenience so it was not yeah i mean the thing went fairly deep she'd like you know use the pencil sharpener to get the rest of it off so the the imagery in the in the movie like with the pencil sharpener and with the spider and like other details like that is so interesting to me like i think that's where you really see the director's creativity in the film yeah yeah i can i can see that um Let's get back to it, though. I want to talk about him following her on the school bus. And then there is a point where she's on the school bus and then it sort of just cuts and she's walking where the school bus was driving and he's just mm-hmm. following her behind in his car. And I was like, that's when I was watching this first time. I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, I actually kind of thought she was crazy. And so, like, I thought, you know, at this point, I think you know, you have that little bit. And then right after this, she finds miss, um, 
McGarry McGarrick's body, but then doesn't say anything. And I was like, Oh, she just imagining these things. Right. And then when, and then when uh, Alden Ehrenreich gets killed, I was like, did she imagine that too? Because we see two different scenarios. So I was like, for most of the movie, I was like, is she a crazy person? So did you enjoy that editing? Like, um, uh, crossfade from like, she's walking on, on like where the school bus is. And then it like, she she's actually walking up her driveway i thought that was really awesome that also seems like a very long walk well she i mean she took it most most of the way but yeah he just follows her in the car like a fucking weirdo and then um, it's, go, it's going to rain take an umbrella and she's just i will not take an umbrella <laughs> especially from you and then it's just like as a fuck you it's just hanging on the gate yeah and then we get a couple scenes where, like, they, you know, Charlie starts hitting on the mom, you know, plays piano with her, plays tennis with her, takes the dad's belt. Oh, that's the big plot point is that he doesn't know how to play piano. Right. He's pretty, pretty fucking. Well, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he doesn't know how to play piano. But then when that, well, once again, he then ha- there's that scene where he plays with um, India. India. And she, like, I think almost, like, what, like, has an orgasm while they're doing it, right? Yeah. Um, And then she looks over and he's not there. Like, that, I think, has to have been imagined, right? Like, that's No, I think when... he just left. I think he just got up and left. He's like, oh, you're having your own little moment here. I'm going to get out. I mean, it makes more sense that way, right? Because then it comes... One of my favorite lines in the movie is is when he's not even hiding it from Nicole Kidman's character anymore. He's just like... He's just like out there with it and he's playing the piano so beautifully with India and she's sitting at the dining room table and she gets up and she like tells him like, come to my room with me. And then she goes, I I've enjoyed your performance quite a bit, but not like not talking about just the piano performance, but like the whole thing. And then all of a sudden you really like Nicole Kidman's character because She's now aware of everything and she's calling his his shit out on him. It's I, I love that scene. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I do want to talk about that more too. Um, so next we get Aunt Gwen stops by and basically she's just like, okay, so I, she has to be a maternal or a paternal aunt, right? Um, I I assume so. She knows, she knows Ch- Charlie. Yeah. yeah. So, and she tries to warn them, but no one wants to do it in front of Charlie because they're like, he's going to kill everyone here. So she tries to, and then basically the uh, Nicole Kidman's like not having it. Like, oh, you're, you're not wanted here. So it's, she's funny. She's like, you're not wanted here. And then India's like, comes out and like, Hey, you should stay the night just because she hates her mother and loves her father, I guess. And, um, Matthew Good's like, so where are you staying? Uh, the Biltmore, and then goes to the cabbie. Are there any other hotels besides the Biltmore? And apparently, the only other hotel is the rattiest, shittiest motel. Yeah, yeah, and it's the thing about Matthew Good's performance, and I know you really want to talk about the performances here, is that he plays this cool, calm, collective guy that is a killer that's totally in control but then in moments like when he approaches the aunt and he's like you lied to me you you told me you were staying at the biltmore he brings out this like child innocence really fucking well 
Yeah, he does it in that scene, which connects to the flashback scene where he kills the dad. Those yeah. are the two times where he does it. Um, and it's really like, yeah, it's just really well done acting. Like chills. And I think you could see it. Uh, some people could see it as a little over the top, but I think like that's the point of all these performances is they are supposed to be over the top. That's like what the movie's going for. Um, and yeah, he just kills her. And as he's killing her, we discover Miss McGarrick's body in the freezer at the exact same time. Um, and that they is also just- do this. They also do this cool thing with her phone, like her trying to call the house, but no one's at the house. And then India trying to call her phone. Yeah, I thought that was a cool touch, too. No, yeah, 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 it was. Absolutely. Um, so we talked about the scene with Whip and him stepping in. Um, and then we get to the scene where Charlie plays the piano with her. Um, and that is like the moment where it seems like she might be falling for Charlie. Now, I was like... You said this, like she becomes sort of infatuated with him. And I was kind of going back and forth on this because like at one point she has this line to whip where she's like, have you ever like had a picture taken of you from a new angle when you didn't know it was happening and then you see it and you're like, oh, that's me also. And it's like, is she in love with Charlie or is she just like what she sees in Charlie is she's like, oh, this is what I can be, a murderer. Because when she's... uh, jerking it yeah, i guess is it jerking it when you're a girl when she's flicking jer- the bean yeah anyway when the she's a little bean she's gonna keep going are you so when she's doing that in the shower later um she's not doing it thinking about charlie necessarily she's doing it thinking about uh whip, whip dying. dying yeah yeah so like i don't think she ever falls in love with him because I think she does like the only person she does love is her father. So this whole time she's like, I'm pretty sure you killed my father. And then when he confirms it, she's like, all right, well now you so have to die. I took it a little bit a different way because of the piano scene, there was no mur- murder happening there. And, and, and the, you know, I don't think they're actually, I, I think the spider crawling up her leg into her vagina parts is very like, symbolic i don't think there's actually a spider it's just symbolism there and it's like he's burrowing his way into her her sexuality in a way i think she is turned on by him but because she's a psychopath she doesn't she could easily off him and she she wouldn't care right because i think there's this growing infatuation with him and maybe the possibility of being a murderer. But then when she learns that he's the one who killed her dad, she was she just turned that off real quick. And she was like, oh, okay, then I just have yeah. to kill you. But I think she knew the whole time that he killed her dad. But not for sure. Not until he admitted it, right? There's a moment where she's like, oh, it's so weird that you have those glasses because my dad has those glasses. And and those her his glasses would have been destroyed because of the way the car crashed and he always kept them in the glove box. It those can't be his glasses. And she's like baiting him, right? Mm-hmm. But then like like I mentioned before with the hunting, that's like part of part of the lessons that she was taught with her dad too, is the waiting. Yeah, and I can't remember like one of the coolest things from this. I can't remember if it's a line he says or you just get it from the dad constantly just her there's so many flashbacks to her 
holding the gun, waiting and waiting. And the dad just looking at her like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then he gives, gives her this signal and she shoots. Right. And so yeah. to me, the whole movie is her, especially towards the end. And the reason she kind of says, I'll go away with you is to set up the perfect opportunity to murder him when she had, cause she's like, he's crazy too. So I can't just right. be willy nilly about this. I got to do it when I can so do it. That's the thing too. Right. Is that, but first of all, I don't believe that um, being a psycho is hereditary. And how did he know that she was going to be like him? I don't know. But I think maybe you could just. Because Miss McGarrick in... knew. That's the only way. It's because she was telling him everything. But then how, but then what did she do at five years old that tipped him off? Um, well, I mean, the dad knew, right? So she had to be doing something. That's why I took her hunting. I guess, I guess. I, I think it's kind of a lucky guess from, from Charlie, but I digress. What I, what I, my point is, is that, uh, she probably thought if he's like me and he's backed into a corner, he'll kill me. He'll kill my mom. He Like she could have, there was a moment, a perfect moment where she could have just told the sheriff but he's Charlie is psychotic, but he's also really smart, right? So he probably would have just figured out a way to just finagle his way out of a situation and kill any everyone, anyways. So, yeah. So we talked about her going to. She, she sees Whip, or she sees her mom and Charlie making out, and she decides to go to Whip, sort of to like recreate that moment. Um, there's this funny line from uh, Nicole Kim and she's like, I don't care who you are. And he goes, Charlie goes, me either. I don't care who I am as well. Yeah. Which is funny. Later on, she like looks at her own daughter. She's like, I don't even know who you are. And I was like, Nicole Kidman, do you know who anyone is in this movie? Are you familiar with any of these people? <laughs> she's so, uh, she's so amped up on amphetamines. Who knows? So whip attempts to rape her after she bites his lip. And, we get two versions of this. We get the version where she just kicks him a few times after Matthew Good ties him up. And then we get the version where he then attacks her and Charlie just breaks him in half. So it's not uh, two versions. It's a continuation of the previous. Except she show, we show him, we show her kicking him and then her and Charlie leaving and then her getting into the shower. Right. And okay. then, and then so, we show, and then it goes back and shows her more dirty and her taking a shower where she's completely dirty because he attacked her threw her to the ground. Right. So it is messing with your mind about what happened. It's not, it's, that's you not know, whether, I, what do you mean? That's okay. So, so there's a moment where she, at the point where she's kicking him, Right. Yeah. When we go back to that, Whip, after being kicked by her, takes her to the ground and crawls on top of her. I know. You're, 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 have, you're having a semantics argue with, with me. That's fine. But what I'm saying is the movie is tricking you into thinking he she didn't kill them. It, they leave without the body, and then it shows you them leaving with the body. That's two different versions. Okay, okay. And you know what? I mean, I, I did not notice the more dirty part. So kudos to you for noticing that. You didn't notice the second shower scene was more dirty because I noticed it. Oh, yeah, but not in that way. Um. So yeah, then she, uh, you know, she does her business in the 
in the uh, shower. The bean. I don't know what accent you were going for, but she also at the same time is crying because like her aunt, she like calls her aunt's cell phone and then hears it in the ground. Um, which is like, why is that? What's the bat? Why is that battery still working? Why would you bury her with the cell phone? Like, why wouldn't you turn the cell phone off? Like, how, how you're not that good at this. Um, but he loves burying people from a young age. But not even that. But he he went out of his way to return her cell phone to her just to kill her instantly. Which at the at at one point I thought, oh, that's because they didn't want like like maybe the cops to trace that the phone was left with him or something like that like if her phone was with her then it would make more sense but then bearing it with her would only incriminate because they could track it and like on their to their property right yeah yeah i mean yeah you gotta probably gotta take the sim card out make sure that thing's not working you know turn it off at least um so the next thing we get is um her brushing her mom's hair, which is funny. She's like, mom, will you brush my hair? And she's like, oh, well, I was about to go to bed. And she's like, okay, well, I'll brush your hair. And the mom's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not that tired. <laughs> um, but she talks about hunting. And this is like the coolest part of the movie where she's like, you know, you know, it was all about like patience. And then she's like, and I think I realized that dad didn't even like it. Uh, he just did it for me because he said you need to do something bad to prevent yourself from doing something worse. And it's like, that's the yeah. line where you realize like her dad, as you mentioned 30 seconds into the podcast that like her dad realized she was a psycho and he was like, he couldn't save Charlie. He was trying to save her. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, a- another brilliant transition at that scene too, where she's brushing her hair and her hair turns into grass. I love that. Well, also as she's saying the do something bad so you don't do something worse, the mom stops her because she's like, "Oh shit," you know. She realizes it too, and she's like, "All right, we're we're done here. Um, I don't want you behind me anymore. You have to be in my field of vision." So then she's like, "I'm going to go through your father's study the next day and get rid of every stuff, get rid of everything." And so India does that, and she finds these letters from these far off places. So hold on, hold on. I, I want to put a pin in here for a second because she has the key, right? That she got from Miss McGarrick. McGarrick. Because Miss McGarrick um usually puts the shoes. But so so Charlie gave her shoes, right? But Miss McGarrick swapped them out for the key because she wanted India to eventually find those letters. Um, I think Charlie wanted her to find those letters. I don't think Miss McGarrick made a ton of decisions on her own. Okay, so you think Charlie purposely wanted her to find those letters? Yeah, yeah, I think he wanted to tell her. Um, okay. And then so, but then she finds the letters, reads them, but then she sees on the back, they're all from the Crawford institution and she's going to call the cops, but then he sort of sees her. So then she kind of calls him out. And this is where we get the flashback of him killing Jonathan, the youngest brother, which is like super fucked up scene. Um, Especially when you go back to it and he's just fucking doing snow angels over his dead brother's buried body. Yeah. Which I am curious, like, I know it's a little kid. I mean, do you think Richard could have gotten saved to, him? Gotten no. to him quick enough? 
No, no way. First of all, first of all, I always forget how he offs Jonathan. And I thought because he built the castle in the in the field of view that he was mowing, I thought he like I thought the uh Richard was gonna like run over the sandcastle into Jonathan in the hole. But it oh. makes so much more sense that he buried him. Yeah, that's not really how mowers work. I'm pretty um, sure you, as a little kid you have like a minute, two minutes tops to get out of there before suffocating. And I don't think I think oh I think when Richard found him, it was long after two minutes. Yeah. But then we also get the scene where um and this is one of Matthew Good's greatest scenes where he's like the flashback to him talking to Richard and he's like, Oh, well, I thought you were gonna take me home. And he's like, No, you have to go to New York. You know why you can't be near uh and he <laughs> Matthew Good's even like, Well what about I'm not gonna get to see India? And then he's like, you know, I love you, but I just have to love you a little less. And then stone to the head but i gotta say so matthew good then says the line back to him you know i gotta love you a little less and then hits him with the stone and then richard goes and grabs his body but leaves the arm that has the stone free it's like you have to grab that ar- that arm's the only thing you have to grab to save yourself but instead you're just like leaving yourself exposed to get hit with a rock more maybe he was going in for a hug He's like, I love you. <laughs> the The reveal on on like India realizing that all the letters were backstamped with the institution, and like the the all the letters falling, and you see the drawing of all the different countries. Um, and then they play it again when she realizes he was in an institution this entire time. It's really eerie. Like this movie, it's not scary in the sense that it's like jump scares and stuff like that. But this movie's really creepy. And like certain things just stay with you through the whole through the whole thing. Yeah. So right after this, I I, I did think that the the scene with the little boy and him burying his brother, like think i've seen a lot of similar things like that even like tv shows like you know where you'll have like one of like a fucked up ending that's just supposed to stay with you like that it's almost a little like i don't know like emotionally manipulative in that like it's like a just a really fucked up thing like to you know it's like it's like shooting fish in a barrel right like it's just like here's the most fucked up thing that's gonna like make you be like oh my god i can't believe this happened but you like you know he did something fucked up right like you know like I don't know. You know, you you saying that it kind of reminded me of like I don't know um if you've ever seen the show Hannibal. No. Um I haven't. or if you've ever seen the show Dexter. But the way that they end those seasons is kind of like that. It's like the whole season or like the last nine or uh, five episodes you don't think anyone important has died. Apart from like a few, you know, side characters or whatever, but you don't think anyone has really important has died. And then the last shot of like the season finale, it shows like, oh, you haven't seen this character for the whole episode because they've been dead the whole time. It's just like a like a low blow emotionally is what you're saying, right? Yeah, it's just like it's. It, I don't know. I've just I've seen it done a lot before, and I think the whole the whole point is it's just like this it's supposed to be this like, Oh my God, that's so fucked up thing. It's just like a very, like, 
it's just like a very box, easy box to check to like get people to be like, oh god, like well, that's what awful. would you, what would you do? What like, how would you write it different? No, I wouldn't. Okay, it's, exactly. It works. It works well enough. It works fine. So we get, um, we get kind of now we're flash forward to the present, and this is like, um. It's pretty great because remember in the beginning of the movie, she's on the bottom of the staircase and he's on the top and she's like, I don't know why I feel like at such a disadvantage. And then at this scene where she's confronting him about it and he's explaining to her like, yeah, I'm the one who who killed your dad. He's at the bottom of the steps walking up to her. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, I did. And then he goes and gives her these heels which one raise her height to his um but two and this isn't something i would realize but i guess the movie they were trying to find shoes that were first they want to use leopard print to represent that she's like a predator um and then they thought about snake print but i guess the shoes they gave her are crocodile louboutins oh Um, wow yeah Mm, to give this whole louboutins huh yeah, yeah. Well, which is then she walks up and shoots him and like kills him with while she's still wearing these heels, right? Um, yeah. But we get the scene where the sheriff stops by to ask about Whip, and she like sort of doesn't know what to say, and he kind of saves her. Um, and then they're like, "Oh, the sheriff's going to be back," and he's like, "Well, we're going to go to New York tomorrow, so um, you know, we'll do that." And she's like, "I'll go with you." And this is where Nicole Kidman, who hasn't been in the movie for like. 40 minutes like shows I think the last thing we saw her do was burning all that stuff and like no no that around the fire no that happens right after this the last thing we saw was Matthew Good grabbing her tit oh (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. then she sees them she then immediately burns her husband's stuff she then like takes a shower she then comes downstairs to eat but like no one makes her food so she's just sitting there and she (laughs) she gives this great monologue about like having children and like you do it to start over and you just want for the best for your children. But then she goes, she says all that and then turns to the camera, which is supposed to be her looking directly at India. But she's like, personally speaking, I can't watch to wait to watch life tear you apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Which is funny because she says that to her and then she tells Matthew good to come upstairs. And then I think it dawns on her as Matthew good backs her into a corner and starts like she's that in, she took sides with the wrong person no that she is way uh, she's way like out of her depth and that she right. is, she's with no but for either of them so she's oh. like she's with two predators right because then matthew good backs her into a corner she's like take me don't take my daughter because she's like accusing him of murder and he's like mother yeah i did and i'll murder you too and she gets scared she's like take me don't take my daughter so he starts making out with her and then throws her on the ground and starts strangling her right to death with with the belt am i with yes with the belt yeah and then he's like india get in here watch this and then india comes in with the gun and you see a flashback to her father and he gives the okay and then she shoots and then she goes up and like puts her head up to charlie as he dies to hear his last breaths and then has the blood all over his face and then Nicole Kidman looks at her and is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I wish she said it, too. Right. She just says, what the fuck? You know, you were saying that Nicole Kidman's kind of in her own movie. Um, you said this earlier before recording. And it, Nicole Kidman's acting for this is just like, 
it's so good. It's so, oh man, it, it's so good, but it really does feel like a different film she's in the entire time. And so since we're kind of close to the end, so uh, she passed on this movie because she wanted to like spend more time with her kids. And so Park Chan-wook wanted her so badly. And I think he originally had Jodie Foster, but she had to back out. But he wanted Nicole Kidman so badly that they filmed it in Tennessee five minutes from her house so that she would do it so that, you know, she could be with her kids. Oh, that's Um, really, that's really nice. So, yeah, I, I agree that she is just actually like fantastic in this and, um, it's really everyone. So Carrie Mulligan, Kristen Stewart, Rooney Mara, which we're about to do another Rooney Mara movie, Emily Browning, Emma Roberts, and then, I don't know who Bella Bella Heathcote is. And then Ashley Green were all considered for India Stoker. Mm. I thought Um, you were going to say Nicole Kidman's character. (laughs) I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. But yeah, for for all of those. And then they picked Alice in Wonderland, huh? That's interesting. Well, I think Carrie Mulligan and Carrie Mulligan and Mia Wasikowski, I think not that they're both incredible actresses. And because of that, and I guess their look, I think they can be interchanged pretty well in roles. Isn't Mulligan quite a bit older than her, though? I don't know. I think so. I think she, I think they need to pick someone that could play young high school. Because I think I like I the thing I like about Mia in this film is that she's really unassuming. Like you don't expect all this from coming from her. Um, and then she just kind of just fucking kicks ass. Um, so this is, since we're at the end, this is kind of what I wanted to mention, is that I don't think the twist is he's evil and she's psychotic or anything like that. Because like you said, we see this coming. I think the twist is, is that Mia, even though she's been on Charlie's side the whole time and she's been kind of against her mom and her mom even is against her at the end, she still takes that moment to save her mom and kill Charlie. That decision, I think, is the twist. I, Yeah, but I don't know if... I think part of the reason Nicole Kidman is so shocked with her is that she's like, you let it get this close to him killing me <laughs> you know, before taking <laughs> him out. Um, Carrie Mulligan's four years older than Mia Wasikowska. Uh, so, so I was but, right. But the other thing, too, is like, I, I do think there is like a little bit of Nicole Kidman is like, I'm surrounded by this other psycho now. And, but she loves me enough to let me live, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, And then we get the final scene with the sheriff, which we already, I love the effectively fast. He's like effectively for what, you know, to get you to follow me. And then she fucking shears him in the neck and then yeah. shoots him, which I read something that said like, at the end of this movie, she's driving to New York, which I guess she takes like all that stuff of she takes Charlie's. all the stuff. Yeah. Um, that's like interesting, you know, so the, the second movie would just be her as a serial killer in New York city. There is no second movie. This is an allegory for cancer. Okay. Well, there is a prequel book called uncle Charlie. Oh, really? That's interesting. That's yeah. Cool. Which we kind of know what happened. I mean, he's in an institution this whole time. What do we need? I don't know what we need. <laughs> that Oh, can we also talk about, real quick, that weird relationship he has with the woman that greets Richard at the door of the institution? 
And then she's like, oh, we are so thankful for your families. They bought the institution because they wanted Charlie to be able to live there forever. Is that what happened? I guess. But then he's also getting out. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, he chose to stay here. He's allowed to leave. And he's leaving on her 18th birthday. Creepy as fuck right there again yeah this is an um, alleg- this is an allegory for all those people who are like the olsen twins turn 18 this year or such and such turns 18 this day that's what this is an allegory for of like you guys are sick yeah be warned of those people but the the thing about um when she approaches him to hug him and be like bye charlie he takes a step back before mm-hmm. going in and embracing her and i was like did she abuse him while he was in there no no he he says in one of the letters that she reads out loud you know they're they're working on hugging here and he's like and i hate doing it oh no 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 he's talking not here because he he's like oh in this country they kiss on both cheeks and hug he's like and i hate it but i might make an exception for you and so the reason he backs off is he doesn't like to hug her but then he sees richard watching this and he's like i have to act normal for richard and so then he gives her a big hug. Oh, okay. So he has a problem with like the touch. So so every time he hugs or he touches Nicole Kidman, he has to like really find it within himself to like play her. Well, and Nicole Kidman at the beginning says, oh, you know, my daughter doesn't like to be touched. I'm her mother. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's another little thing. Um, yeah. I, uh, it, like I said, weird movie, but I really liked it. I think, you know, it has like, I don't know, so-so reviews. Like, some people think it's amazing, and some people are like, this is shit. I do think, like, a second watch really makes you appreciate this movie more. Um, And the performances are are pretty incredible, and it's just like the, you know, Park Chan-wook knows what he's doing, right? So it's like, it all all does work together, if you you allow it to. I agree. Like I said before, I I went to go see... this movie thinking it was about Dracula, but I'm glad it wasn't. I really liked this film and I'm, and I'm really glad you liked it too, because I think it is a niche film that, that could be a hit or miss, but it sounds like a hit. So thanks everybody for listening to another episode of I finally watched. I'm Alon, And this is David. And today I finally watched Stoker. <laughs> <laughs>